All right, thank you, Joe. I want to ask you a question about that last song we were singing. Does anybody know what's really unique about that song? That's not like other songs that we sing. Anybody? 10,000 years. All right, it's not the uniqueness part that I'm looking for. But you, you take, is, that, is that me making that noise? Yeah, I'm making that noise, aren't I? So if I stand like this, it's going to be good. Anybody know what's unique about that song right there? You're singing to yourself. That's what's really unique about that song. I remember the, the day that that finally struck me. You are singing to your soul in that song. And then out of singing to your soul, you then express, express praise to the Lord as well. And I always find that really interesting. And so that line in there, that really tells us to bring it with gusto. I don't know if you hear yourself telling yourself to bring it with gusto. Uh, it doesn't actually use those words. That's my interpretation of it. But, I mean, that song is encouraging us to just bring it in worship to the Lord. And I have a passion that we as followers of Jesus would learn to be the kind of worshipers that just bring it to the Lord. Sometimes I'm in church, and it doesn't sound like people actually believe what they're singing. I mean, did you believe what you were just singing? I mean, this is amazing, the realities of the gospel, and the impact it has on our lives, and what that means for life now and then for eternity. It's amazing. Now, you know by now I'm a big Alabama football fan. Roll Tide, absolutely. Thanks for that support. I just appreciate that. I feel like I'm in the body of believers when that happens. But you know I'm a big fan. And, you know, the fans go crazy about their team. In fact, I had a friend that did an article about the worship imagery in college sports. Very interesting. Very interesting, the worship imagery that's there. Even language that's used. Well, when we gather to, to sing about Jesus and to talk about Jesus, it's my prayer that we would become fanatics of who Jesus is. I mean, just fanatics. But I got a feeling last night at my house when we were watching Alabama defeat that opposing team, Washington in football. Sorry, Bryce. Real sorry about that. But when we watched that, I imagine there was more fanaticism in that room than there is here right now. And we need to get a little excited about Jesus. And I'm not going to ask you right now. Yeah, there you go. I'm not going to ask you to get excited about Jesus right now. But come on, let's, let's be excited about Jesus. But my goal for this morning is for us to get our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus as we go into 2017. I love New Year's. I love that. I love the concept of 2016 is gone 2017 is in front of us. I love that the sun goes down at night or, you know, you know the, the real reality of that. It gets dark and then it comes up the next day and it's a new morning. I love the way God designed our world. I think there's something to that. The Lord is constantly at work giving us a newness so that we can go about his work in a new way. We can put old things behind us and we can get on. I don't know what you're looking at as you look back at 2016. But we got a new year in front of us. And so we can make some commitments. In that. Is this going to be distracting? Should I just? Can you guys hear this or is it just me? It's just me. Okay, good. All right. Because it's coming out of right here. Your hearing's going bad. It's another year and you're losing more of your hearing. But my goal this morning is for us to, to really bring that focus. So if you could open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I want us to look at verses 1 through 3. Very simple verses. If you have grown up in the church, you no doubt know the teaching of these verses. You've probably heard a number of sermons on them. But it is a good way to bring focus to a new year. In what's in front of us. But let me read these verses for us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race 
that is before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now the book of Hebrews is written to a body of believers who are in struggle. Now imagine what it was like back in that day. We, we actually have a modern day analogy. But imagine what it was like in that day to be a Jew. To be observing sacrifices, to go to the sanctuary, and to, to, to meet the priest, to observe all the feast days. All of this in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, the Messiah who's going to come. Now imagine you're a, a God-fearing Jew, and you are a part of all that Judaism represents and you get it. Jesus is here. Everything was pointing to Jesus. I'm now going to become a follower of Jesus. And there were certain members of your family who didn't get it. And they saw you as leaving the faith. And so they saw you as, as um, becoming a heretic. You were in with us and now you're gone. You've lost it because now you're a follower of Jesus. Well, during the days of Jesus and in the early church, this is one of the biggest issues that they had to face. For all of these years, they had been approaching God in a certain way, but now that Jesus has come, it's a radical new way. And so as these people became Jesus' followers, their families were saying, we want nothing to do with you. In the same way that the Islamic faith today, when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, which the Quran actually talks about, when they become a follower of Jesus, they will just completely separate themselves from that follower of Jesus. Well, that's what was happening back in the days of Hebrews too. These people were becoming followers of Jesus and their families were saying, we're cutting you off. And not only that, but the, the, the government, the Roman government was opposed and they blamed things on Christianity. All this stuff with Nero and all these things that, that were happening historically. And the Christians were being blamed for it. They were under persecution. It even talks about in Hebrews where they were seizing their property and taking it from them. I mean, they were in very difficult times. And so as we come to the, the, the really the final moments of this book, where the author has been saying, do you want Judaism or do you want Jesus? And the author has been showing that Jesus is superior. In fact, everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. In the Old Testament, the priest ministers day by day, offering up sacrifices. Jesus offered himself one time and sat down. A priest never sat down. A priest always ministered. Jesus is superior. And so the, the author has been encouraging the people to take this seriously, to continue to be faithful to Jesus. And he gets into chapter 11. We call this chapter the Hall of Faith, where you look at all of these individuals. It is a walk through the Old Testament, highlighting those who had been faithful in following um, God throughout by faith, not knowing. And it begins in verse 4, by faith, Abel. Offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. You drop down to verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You drop down to verse 13 and it just gives a little summary statement. These all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they were all just living by faith as God's plan unfolded. Now, in the New Testament, oftentimes Paul uses the word, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're at that defining moment where God's redemptive history has climaxed in Christ. We understand what it was all about, but they were walking into the unknown. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, Offered up Isaac. By faith, in verse 23, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And then we got the whole story of Moses. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. But the Egyptians... 
when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise against, again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in um, skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. I mean, what a journey through the Old Testament. And the author just goes quickly through all of that. But now notice how he begins in verse 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I want to add, this cloud of witnesses has continued to grow throughout the years. We could add to this chapter the great people of faith who have continued to expand the horizons of Christianity, taking the gospel to the unreached, the apostle Paul and Peter and all that he did in the advance of the gospel, people like Samuel Zwemer, the missionary to the Muslims, people like Jim Elliott who gave his life and is oftentimes a household name, J. Hudson Taylor, and we can go on and on, William Carey, the great cloud of witnesses, not just those who have pushed the boundaries of the church, but people who have stayed in the church and built it up in the faith and discipled believers to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The author says, look, we've got all of this great cloud of witnesses. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, he gives the exhortation that I want us to focus on in the minutes that we have together this morning. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the key. Here's what I want us to grasp this morning. Here's where I want us to put our attention. The the main exhortation is, let us run the race. We've got a great cloud of witnesses. We could dance through the Old Testament. If we're allowed to dance, I don't know. We could walk through the Old Testament and we could see all the great things that God has done through people We've got that great cloud of witness. Those who have gone before us, someone brought you to faith, someone discipled you in the faith, someone has nurtured your growth. You've got all these people surrounding you. And the author says, let us run the race. As we go into 2017, can I encourage us to run the race? Just to, to run the race. Have you ever trained for a race? Or just gone for a jog? If you were to say to me right now, hey Dave, let's go for a jog. I'd go, uh... I'm not dressed to go on a jog. There's a a certain way of going on a jog. You have certain clothes on. I mean, imagine I could. But I'd run to my room and put on my jogging clothes. And I might stretch a little bit to get ready for that. There's certain things we have to do if we're going to run the race. And I want us to think about that today. I want us to think of three points coming out of this time. The first point is let us lay aside And there are two things that are laid aside. Every weight is the first thing that it says. Now, when we think about weights, these are things, they are not necessarily bad things. It's also going to say, not only lay aside every weight, but also lay aside sin. Okay, so there's some kind of difference between that which is a weight and that which is sin. The weights are not necessarily bad things. They are simply things that are going to inhibit us from running the race well. Sin would be rebellious acts against God, turning away from Him, being carried away by various lusts, and those are an affront to God. But there are certain things that can just distract us and pull us away from the main thing. Weights. Now, I brought me a little backpack here today, not just because I had a lot of things to do with my sermon notes, because I'm not going to preach through all this, but let's imagine that I wasn't going to invite you to go on just a jog with me, and you had to choose a uniform. Let's say we're going to race. Okay, we're thinking about racing here. And I would say, well, you've got to have some kind of pants on, 
And so, well, I might offer you something like this, because everything in my wardrobe is Alabama-based. But I might offer you this. Would you like to wear, if you're going to race me, would you like to wear this, or would you like to wear this? Now, which are you going to choose? Yeah, right, exactly. Now, some of you might have problems with this, because of the colors and the, the wording on it. But you're going to say, no, I'll take the shorts. How cold is it outside? That's a good question. It's not as cold as it is in New Hampshire this morning, but it is a little nippy outside today. But you might, because this right here would add weight to that. If I were to say, would you like to wear these or these? You might say, I'm going to take these right here because we're running a race and I don't want a lot of extra weight on me. And then if I said, would you like to wear this? Again, I have very limited wardrobe. I'm sorry. Would you like to wear this or would you like to put something like this on right here? Okay, I mean, which one are you going to choose if you're going to be in a race? You're going to take the light route. And what the, what the author is trying to encourage the church with there is this kind of imagery for us. So that's physical in, in our thinking, but let's make this spiritual. As we think about running the race that is before us, and we need to lay aside weights, things that inhibit us from running the race, running it quickly, running it well, being able to do what you're supposed to do in a race, when we think about that spiritually, what kind of things are in your life that are weighing you down? What kind of things are in your life that we would look at it and not say, that's sin, but we might look at it and say, you know, that's keeping you from running your race. What are those things that are, that are keeping you from staying on that trajectory that God has called us to, and you're just kind of being pulled away a little bit? What would those things be? This passage is causing us to think about that. Is it a relationship? Is it something vocationally or money or dreams or a bigger house, a comfortable life? And the author of Hebrews today is saying, let's think about as we go into 2017. Can we lay those things aside? Can we say, God, I'm going to lay this aside because I want to run the race. It goes on and says, not only lay aside every weight, but sin which clings so closely None of us are ever going to be beyond the battles of sin. We're all going to battle sin. In some ways, you've battled sin in this past week. The the hymn, I think, puts it so good, so well. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are prone to that. It goes on and says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. See, we know the battles that each one of us can have with sin. And the author of Hebrews says, we are to be running a race. Lay aside those things that are weighing you down. Those things that get you off course. The things that get you off the, the, the ways that God has called you to live. And also, lay aside those sins. And it's interesting the language that he uses that clings so closely to us. They wage war against us. And what are the sins that distract us from the race? The things in this world that, that captivate our hearts. And, and these aren't just things that weigh us down. These are things that we bow down to and say, you are my God, I live for you. I worship you. Whatever that might be, we give our hearts to these things. And we're not able to run the race. That becomes our focus. That becomes our passion. And the author says, you need to lay that aside. Lay that aside. You know, it's a psychological reality that we cannot attend to more than one task at a time. Look at this next slide here. So this is what I, one of my gifts for my birthday. I love puzzles. I love puzzles this time of the year. Now, my wife doesn't like puzzles because puzzles capture my attention. I can't hardly walk by without looking for a piece. Now, look at the next slide here. We cannot attend to more than one task at a time. Now, you may think, 
if you're working on this section of the puzzle over here, and you're looking for this particular piece, look at that. There's certain things you're going to be looking for, aren't you? And because you're focused on looking for certain details to find this particular piece, to find that piece up there is psychologically almost impossible. Now, it's not saying it can't be done, but we can't focus on more than one thing at a time. And so this passage is saying there are certain things that are weighing you down and taking your focus away from the race. There are certain sins that are leading you away, captivating your heart that are taking you away from the race. I mean, look what our mind has to do. Look at this next slide. This is what our mind has to do. Can we multitask? I always say, I'm a great multitasker. No, you really can't multitask. Multitask means that I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm working on a sermon, acting like I'm paying attention, but I'm not. And I kind of clue in every now and then, but I'm either focusing here or I'm focusing there. We really can't do both. And so here's what the mind has to do. If I'm going to read something, I have to turn my attention toward that which I'm about to read. And then if I'm going to actually do that task, I actually have to begin the task. And as I begin that, something may distract me. My phone may buzz, and I may think that I can do both of these at the same time, but I can't. That phone buzzes. Now my mind is moving towards this task here, and now I have to pull this out, and I have to... It did buzz right here from Chiago in, in Brazil. And just try to focus right in on this right here. We can't focus on two things at once. And so the author is saying... You've got to maintain the priority of running the race. Can we do that this morning? Can we bring that focus to our life? That's our preparation. But notice, secondly, our pace. It says, let us run with endurance. Eugene Peterson, a few years ago, wrote a book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. And I think that really captures the Christian life. Others have said, the Christian life is not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. And we've got to have endurance for this. Jesus, in using his words, says, take up your cross daily. It's a day-by-day walk with him in our lives. And maybe some of you are weary today. Maybe some of you just want to walk away. You're just tired of that. We've got to run with endurance. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, I'm asking you to engage this race. And I'm asking you to stay with it. But I have no guarantees what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Your family could still disown you. The government could still persecute us and oppress us. But I'm asking you to hang in there and keep moving forward with the race. And every day we must reorient ourselves back to God and say, God, for one more day I'm going to run the race. For one more day I'm going to keep pursuing your purposes in this world. I'm going to keep living for you. Now the last point I want us to see in this passage... Not only our preparation, lay aside the weights, lay aside the sins. Not only our pace, run with endurance. But in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the first thing it tells us about Jesus is, you know what? Jesus went through hard times as well. He he went through those hard times. But for the joy that was set before him, he continued to pursue it. And the author says, I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus too. I want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. One of the hardest things for me when I go jogging is to keep in mind that there's going to be an ending. And I have a certain path that I run, and I run down Central Avenue, which is right up over here. And then I run up Barry, which is all uphill. And then I take a left on whatever road it is at the, at the end of that. And I keep going uphill. And then I start moving down. And then I get back to Puente. And then all of a sudden, I can begin to see that's where I'm going. And the author of Hebrews says, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Listen, the Christian life is not just aimlessly enduring for the sake of enduring. We have a Savior who is there. And I think about... When I, when I read through this, I was thinking about Stephen back in Acts chapter 7 when he proclaimed the good news, the message of the cross to the Jews who needed to hear. And they picked up stones and they stoned him. And as, as Stephen was being stoned and he was dying, he looked up to the heavens and he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And he said to the people, I see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. 
And then they just continued to pummel him, pummel him with stones until he died. That's a graphic image. And maybe we aren't being, oh, I'm assuming we're not being stoned with stones. But what is it that you're up against? And in the same way Stephen was able to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus, we've got to be able to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as well. He's our Savior, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We were dead, he made us alive, and he's going to get us to heaven as well. We've got to keep our eyes on him. I, I listen to Spotify quite a bit, music on my computer, and it will say this all the time. You are what you listen to. That catches my attention. It's like, okay, well, what am I listening to then? Because I know who I want to be. But you are who you listen to. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to about what brings happiness, about what brings joy, about what brings satisfaction? Who are you listening to about how to live, the way to think, decisions to make? Who are we listening to? Who are we getting our values from? Who sets the agenda for our life? That's important for us to keep in mind. As we go into 2017, let's keep this in mind. We are called to be a part of building Christ's church. So as we run this race, laying aside weights, laying aside sin, running with endurance, looking unto Jesus, well, what is it that we're doing? We're now partners with Christ in building his church. We are to serve one another so that we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be equipped to continue to reach out to the world, which is our second one, to take the message of Jesus to a world that really needs to hear. So think about calling number one. Is that on my next slide? Calling number one is serving one another so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ. You are a body of believers who meets at Sonora High School every single week. And there's a lot of work to get that done. A lot of work to get that done. If I had time, I would go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, which talks about the body working together. Certain gifts are given. There's certain energy that's expended. Why? So that we can continue together together and, and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some of you who set up and tear down this place week after week after week, and maybe you're getting weary of that. Stay the course. There are some of you who give up time in here so you can work in our children's ministries. Some of you are working with youth, and maybe it just seems like it gets old after a while. I'm just going to work with children. I won't be able to be fed this week. I need to be fed. Stay the course. There's some part of prayer teams and our interim deacon teams and our overseers, and you can become overwhelmed with stuff. Stay the course. There's a calling to us, and all of these things go into us being able to meet as a body of believers so that we can stimulate one another, encourage one another for love and good deeds, is what Hebrews 10 tells us. Life group leaders, it's so easy to get weary. I just want to encourage you to stay the course. When those people come into your life group, can you just love them towards Jesus? Continue to hang in there with them. Invite him into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Ask God to work powerfully in your group, but, but stay the course. We can do all of this so that we can be a body of believers, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes. So as we go into 2017, what is it that you've been involved in at this church? Can you recommit yourself to it? If you need to step it up a notch, can you commit yourself to it and jump on board and become a part of it so that people can be built up in Jesus Christ? Our second calling, though, is to faithfully take the message of Jesus to those who need to hear. In Acts 1.6, before Jesus goes up to the heavens, he says to the disciples, and he says to us, you will be my witnesses Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth is where you are going to take the message to. And so we've got a message that we need to take to people. Look at this next slide right here. The first part that we want to focus on is to the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen to what Kevin DeYoung has to say. You're going to get a, a whole lot of Cross 2016 today. I don't know if you know about Cross, but every year... 
My wife's afraid when cross comes on because it's about cross-cultural missions, about taking the gospel to the end. She's afraid I'm going to come home and say, I put the house up for sale and we're going. But cross is an amazing conference. I encourage all of you to go online, find it, and listen to the sermons. But Kevin DeYoung was given one of his sermons uh, this particular year. We go and we send because the need is great. The commission is clear and Jesus is worthy of glory. Go and send. There's only two options for a believer, going or sending. But we're all a part of taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen to what J.D. Greer said. J.D. Greer is at Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. If he called me right now and said, Dave, come join us, I would say, all right, let me finish my sermon. I'm on my way. My, this church is amazing. It's, it's gospel-focused, taking the the, the, the message of Jesus to the nations. Have you squarely faced the fact that 2.2 billion in, people in the world have little to no access to the gospel? And that's a church that's getting it done. And they're trying to reach the nations. And, and Whittier Hills has a beautiful heritage of sending out people to give the gospel to people who need to hear. And we've got a couple of families with us this morning and we're going to talk with them briefly, but first we're going to watch a video. Robert, can you pull that video up? And we're going to see, we're going to look at this video. We're going to see, we've we got some technical difficulties today. Robert's doing a great job back there trying to keep all this thing rolling, but we've got to go in and out of programs. We're going to watch this video, and then I'm, we're going to look at a few slides. So, Robert, as soon as this is done, I need to get back to the slides. Pakistan, what images come to your mind? Terrorism, disasters, persecution? Pakistan, what images come to your mind? Terrorism, disasters, persecution? These days it seems as though only bad news comes out of Pakistan. This country is 97% Muslim. We're all just rolling with this today. Let's just skip the video. Let's go back to the PowerPoint slides. How about that? Let's just go to the PowerPoint slides. Easton said that was a great video, but we're, gonna, we're just going to miss it. We got a few facts and figures on Pakistan here, though. It looks like maybe we can't get anything. Well, I'm going to go on because I'm going to run out of time. But let me see if I can remember what was on my slides. <laughs> Pakistan on the world watch list is number eight. This was a, just a, I think, last year because I couldn't find my this year's map. But they're number eight in the most persecuted countries in the world. I mean, they are, as it just was saying, 97, my, my fact said 96% Muslim, 4% Christian, but of that 4%, only, I, or whatever percent it was that was Christian, only 0.4% is evangelical. There's a huge difference when you read facts and figures about what's going on in the world when they use the word Christian. You almost need to see the word evangelical as well because there's a lot of people who are a part of the Christian culture, but they, are, they don't actually believe in the good news of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. And so that's a very dangerous country. The Easons have served there for 10 years, and they're about to go back. We're going to talk to them in just a moment. We've also got the, how do you say your name, Trostuds? Trostuds. So we've also got, is that right? Trostrude. 
we've got Steve, is that right? And Donnell here. And so they're going to be going to, this, this is a, a nation that I looked up, Papua New Guinea. Now, there are four different ways to pronounce this particular nation, so I'm going to ask you about that in just a moment. Um, but it's, it's not a nation that's under a lot of persecution. If you look at the facts on that, 96% uh, Christian of what's there. But again, you have the same issue in, in the Christianity there. They oftentimes syncretize that with their ancient indigenous beliefs. And so what we might call Christian doesn't look a lot like Christianity when you get down and drill down into the deeper beliefs. But they're going to be going back there and serving with the Lord as well. So why don't I go ahead and just invite up these two families. And I've got a microphone right here. Is this on? This one right here work? So come on up, Eason's and Trostrudes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so how do you say it? Trostrude. Trostrude. Why don't you two stand over here? We got a family over here. And why don't you introduce yourselves? And then over here we've got Stephen Donnell Trostrud. Um, Stephen, yeah, Donnell. Is this on? Steve. Working on it. Or you're working on it. All right, we'll just, we just project. So you guys are serving in Pakistan. Yes, sir. And you're going back when? Uh, six days. In six days. And so this is a blessing for us to have both of these. Uh, families with us today because Whittier Hills has been a sending church and they've, they've supported missionary, missionaries around the world. And so for them to be here today, we're going to pray for them and send them off. Um, so you guys go back in six days and what will your responsibilities be when you get back to Pakistan? Uh, well, I'm a tech uh, by training and trade and uh, I get to support all of the computers and technology over there for our organization, which is TEAM, as well as SIL, Wycliffe. YOM, you name it, I support it um, over in Pakistan, and so just keep everybody running. Uh, I'm really excited about a new project that I get to start when I get back, and that is uh, getting the Bible recorded into uh, an audio format where uh, people who are illiterate will be able to hear the Bible, and there's about, um, I think it's, uh, I forget the percentage, but there's a very high illiteracy rate in Pakistan. I'm also excited because this version of the Bible is, gosh, it's been put out, I think, 11 years ago, whereas the current version that they have is 150 years old, and so it's almost unintelligible, uh, especially with the eighth grade education that most people have there. So I'm, get, I'm really excited because we get to have the Christians actually know, find out what they believe for a change, um, which will be great. And then um, that 1.6% Christian population will take what they then know and believe and share it with their Muslim neighbors. Um, so I think this has been the number one barrier to um, Christians sharing their faith in Pakistan. And now we're going to break it with the Lord's help. Okay. And so when are you guys going back? We're going back on the 29th of January. And how do you say the name of the country? Papua, New Guinea. So you say the three syllables. You say the Hello. three syllables. All right. So Papua, Papua, New Guinea. And so others can say Papua, Papua, Papua. Yeah, so okay, all right. When do you guys go back? End of the month? 29th. And you're going to be doing what? Uh, Donnell and I are representatives for our mission to the government. For 22 years, we were aircraft mechanic in, uh, <laughs> up in Goroka, and, which is in the Highlands. And then uh, the last five years, we've been doing this down in the capital city of Port Moresby. Okay, so what does all that involve? Uh, we take care of, uh, our mission has about 350 missionaries uh, in New Guinea, and we take care of all their passports, their work permits, their visas, and uh, m many uh, tasks that our mission, uh, our mission leaders ask us to deal with the PNG government, uh, various departments of the government. There's no way to travel to the capital city from where our missionaries are located except by small aircraft. So that's what we do in Moresby, keeps them in the tribe doing what they're doing, and do, which is you know language learning, translation, and evangelism. So we live in Moresby, and we are the 
feet for our mission to get all that stuff done. So there's not a lot of persecution that takes place um, in PNG, which is the easiest way to say that uh, country. That's, the, that's code language. That's when you're really in, it's PNG. <laughs> but let me tell you about Moresby. I did a little research on Moresby. Of 130 capital cities of nations around the world, guess where Moresby fits in the rankings of places that are good to live? Or most, most dangerous. Or most dangerous. You know, quality of living, Moresby is number 130 out of 130. One of the most dangerous capital cities in the world. I mean, it's gross. Don't, don't go reading about it. It's, it sounds like a really bad place. So that alone, I mean, that, that's got to be a lot of stress uh, for people who live there. But how are your sport needs? Oh, you're going to say something. We actually found that out the day they asked us to move to Port Moresby. Ah, see, I was was smart. It was in the newspaper. I was smart. I did work ahead of time, checked it out. (laughs) So support needs, anything at all? Uh, No, we're we're fine. We just wanted to have this opportunity to say thank you to you guys. You've been behind us for many years. Uh, The the family at Whittier Hills, Redemption Hills, has uh, been so gracious to us. They've taken care of our kids, and uh, we are... And my, my wife was the daughter of, the, uh, of a previous pastor of yours. And so just from the get-go, you guys have been behind us, and we just thank you for that. But we do need a lot of prayer, and yeah. we have, I'm sure yeah. we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Just support needs at all? Okay, uh, I guess I'm doing support needs. So uh, we are uh, 85% supported through Redemption Hill and the individuals from Redemption Hill. Um, we have $150 of monthly support yet to be raised to be fully supported. And right now we're working on this Bible project out of the $3,000 to raise the Bible, uh, in Urdu for the local people there. Um, we are at marker 2,300, so we're about 700 to go. And how can we be praying for you? And I want you to listen closely because we're going to pray in just a moment. Um, Transition is a stressful time, going back to Pakistan um, or coming here. Either way, um, there's just a lot of details and uh, a lot to do, especially with three little rascals running around, as you can imagine. Um, And then the readjustment is also going to be tough, so you can be praying for that. Um, Be praying for us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life and ministry. She gets brave in just a second. How can we be praying for you guys? Okay, we represent a lot of missionaries um, that are working in the tribes. And so their successes are our successes. But one tribe in particular right now is halfway through the gospel presentation. Uh, it's called the Mali Binding. And they've been hearing, uh, when we present the gospel, we start in Genesis 1-1. And we don't present Jesus until we get to Matthew. And so it takes a, few, a couple to a few months and so uh, they're probably right now, they're in the life of Jesus, approaching the death, burial, and resurrection, ascension of Christ. And so that when they hear the gospel, it will be crystal clear to them. And so you can be praying for the Mali binding people as they hear the gospel message in their heart language for the very first time. So the, and what else do we have? Uh, just in our, in our return, um, we are uh, uh, leaving uh, two new grandbabies and the four mm. other grandchildren we have. It's always hard to go back, but we just praise the Lord for keeping us enthused about doing so, even though we do live in Fort Moresby. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and you can pray for our safety there. It's, you know, we're in the Lord's hands uh, 24-7 anyway, but, um, you know, we're just uh, continually looking to him to have our backs. And <laughs> That's right. I know having two brothers that were on the mission field, the importance of prayer. I travel a lot, too, and I love praying people. I'm going to have you guys just go up here on the steps, and we're all going to gather around you. If you want to just get up and lay hands on them, we're going to send you guys off with our prayers. Just head right up there and just get up amongst the people. You guys gather around them. Let's uh, send them off in the power of the Holy Spirit, remembering those requests that they gave us. I'm going to ask a couple of you just to pray loudly for them. So a couple of you, just lead us out in prayer.
So, Lord, we do pray that your name would be lifted up. We pray that the support ministries that these two families provide, that it would enable the gospel to go forth in powerful ways. And, Lord, we pray that people would be added to the kingdom, that churches would be strengthened. We pray for these families that they would be encouraged, that they would go forth in your power and your might. We pray for adjustments and safety in vision, strategy. Lord, we pray that you would use them powerfully. And we commit them to you in your sovereign care. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how about you find your seat again real quick. One more thing I want to point out. What a privilege it was for us to have these two families with us today. When we take up offerings and you give to Whittier Hills... I mean, to a Redemption Hill. Sorry about that flashback. <laughs> Redemption Hill. Some of, those, some of those funds go around the world for families like this. And we need to be praying for them and giving to them the uttermost parts of the earth. But there's a, also a part to this message that is our responsibility. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I said earlier that we're all goers or senders. That, that's with regards to the international focus. But here where we live... We are all proclaimers. We are all ambassadors. And so I want us to just think about 2017 in front of us and what would it mean for us to once again get focused in representing Christ to people who need to hear. In a 2012 study put on by Lifeway Christian Books, 80% of Christians who attend church at least one time a month Believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. 80%. 75% feel adequately equipped to share their faith. Yet only 39% actually share their faith. Only 50% have ever invited someone to church. And so when you think about what it means for us to be ambassadors here. Let's be the kind of people who feel the burden to share Christ. Let's be the people who are adequately prepared to share Christ. And let's be the people who actually proclaim his name to those who need to hear. God's at work through the ministries of this campus. We have people who are out in the community proclaiming the name of Christ and making sure that people hear the message. But what, what do we want to ask God to do in 2017? 
Jim Elliott once said this. He wrote this in his prayer journal. I think God is to be glorified by asking the impossible of him. Asking the impossible of him. What is the impossible that we can ask the Lord for 2017? David Platt, again at 2016 Cross Conference says, Are you going to retreat from mission in fear... Or are you going to risk your life on mission through faith? We have a great cloud of witnesses. And we need to run that race with endurance as well. Then one last line by Platt. If you can trust God to save you for eternity, you can trust him to lead you for a lifetime. The Lord wants to work through us. Let's run the race. Laying aside weights. Laying aside sins. Let's run the race with endurance, daily taking up our cross. Let's run that race looking unto Jesus. He's the one who has founded our faith and he will perfect our faith. What's the impossible that God wants, to ask, wants, God wants us to ask of him for 2017? Let me pray. Lord, I pray for each one who is gathered here today. Your richest blessing on them. I pray that you will stir hearts and as we have a new year in front of us, that you would do a work in us and cause us to want to, again, grab the, the plow and keep looking ahead, not looking back, that we will run the race with endurance. I pray for sins, that they would be crushed. I pray for weights, that they would be put aside. I pray for endurance, that we could daily keep after it. And Lord, I thank you that you are there. In Jesus' name.